0: Welcome to Life on Mars, a podcast about technology, entrepreneurship, and innovation. You will listen to stories of the best founders, inventors, experts, and celebrities from all around the galaxy. Hello, it's Alex again. Welcome back to Life on Mars. For this episode, we'll go back a couple of years when I interviewed Jordi Milo, who at the time was creating his new company. Jordi had been the CTO for Wacky TV and one of our earliest employees. And Wacky TV was sort of a Netflix from Barcelona that was later acquired by the Rakuten Group. And now they're still going and going really strong under the brand Rakuten TV. Jordi quit Rakuten in order to create his new company, Learning, a startup that created video games for educational purposes for children. So children would be able to learn through these highly educational games. And at the time, he joined venture with the, with one of the most famous entrepreneurs in Barcelona, but he couldn't tell us the name. So anyways, we discussed a lot of technology, even though the company was really incipient, and probably he was still coding at the time. And we didn't go into, into business details. We just talked about coding, choosing technology, how to build a team, how to deal with uh, legacy code, and some other nuances from his time at at RAC then. So, I hope you enjoyed this episode. So, we're very happy to be here with uh, Jordi Miró, who used to be the former CTO at Waki. Since he doesn't know very much about football because he's a Real Madrid fan, uh, we said, why don't we talk technologies instead?
1: So, welcome, if you want to say some nice words to the audience. Yeah, thank you very much. Thanks for coming. And I think that uh, we have a very interesting technology hub here in Barcelona with really top talented engineers. Uh, And not only engineers, but around the engineering world. Uh, And I think we can do something very interesting. Uh, And in the meantime, Real Madrid will keep kicking asses, so no problem.
0: Basically, I just wanted to start by saying um, what's Wacky? Because maybe let's talk about your former girlfriend just to give some sort of introduction and what kind of technologies you had there. Yeah. So that people maybe are not familiar with
1: Wacky. Maybe you wanna. So, so Wacky is a bid on demand platform. The idea is. Uh, I'm going to talk in general because Spain has a little slight uh, change, but in general it's the old video club we used to go on Fridays to get movies for the weekend, online, uh, with a big focus on smart TVs, uh, connected devices. Uh, And the idea is you have all the new releases, long tail, thousands of titles, and you paper as you go. And... We started it in 2010. I grew the team to around 170, 180 people. I left a couple of months ago after almost six years there. And I was employee number five. So I saw the growth of the company. And technology speaking, uh, Wacky is a Ruby on Rails application, but not because anyone made a very... I think it's not only Wacky, but in general, you don't make a very deep analysis in order what technologies you're going to use in order to build your company or your product. At the end, normally you build it in the technologies you're more confident in or you have more experience. So the first engineer, Wacky, hired before I joined, knew Ruby. So that's the main decision. And uh, Wacky nowadays has, has evolved, and, and it's a much bigger team, around 70 people in product and technology. And it's uh, based on Ruby, different frameworks, Rails, Sinatra... There is some Python. There is some still. I think there's some Java running on the servers. Uh, on the front, on the front end, we have uh, native applications on mobiles. Um, the, the new website ha- just released last week, which is uh, a JavaScript framework with, with Node.js, uh, React. Um, and then all the Smart TVs applications is HTML5 plus the SDKs of the different manufacturers, everything runs on top of AWS um, on the side of AWS, everything is managed with uh, Puppet and our databases we we'll got rid of one so now it's only MySQL uh, Redis and you're using uh, for uh, for caching React yeah, is supposed to be that, no? Or do you still use it? <laughs> you, you still say we, but you're not part no, of Wacky anymore. Yeah, it, it, it's difficult. I mean, I still talk in present, but uh, because I still go any once in a while, but uh, I don't do anything nowadays. There. So that, that's more or less the stack that we use. When, uh, I always have, uh, when I left Wacky, one of the things I wrote about is... Um, how I see the world of engineering of, or developing from when I started coding, uh, I started coding, well, not when I started basic at, at the primary school, but I started coding in year 99, 2000, when I started my professional career. And at that time, there was no front-end developer, back-end developer. The only differentiation we had was systems and database. Those were different profiles. The rest, it's what I did. Word that we use today that I hate it's full stack developer. I don't like that name at all. There are some names like that DevOps, I don't like. And, and the best definition for DevOps I got from a friend in San Francisco was here in the valley, since engineers are so expensive, what we did is we hired someone who could do a little bit of systems engineer and development. And we call it DevOps, it's a new term, but what we want is to be cheap. <laughs> we hire someone who can do both things for the price of one. And I think that this level of specialization, Someone put it in my article it's for ants ants they have a very different labors they do within the community. I think it's normal that we tend to do what we like most and what we are better at but why don't why what I don't like and I see it very often is I'm a, whatever language you want to put developer Ruby Python whatever or I am a front-end or back-end engineer and I don't want to know anything about the other side of the of the stack. And why do I have a problem with that? Is that mainly when you want to put or build a solution, normally your solution goes from your database to your user. If you only can manage a part of that, and maybe you're better at this part, but you should be quite professional at the other level, your solution is not going to be good enough. So, one of the trends that I see is that that level of specialization, I think it doesn't work. I don't think you can provide the best input for the company and it is not because I'm starting something new and unfortunately I'm coding again. <laughs> so I'm less than a junior developer nowadays. I have not been professionally coding for ten years. So my days are either my days are like a roller coaster. Yes on Friday I left home very disappointed. I didn't manage to build anything on Friday. So I went home, disconnected for a couple of days. Yesterday it was amazing. Everything I tried it worked. So Wonderful. Got home, and hyped completely. Today it's been again miserable. <laughs> um, so I'm relearning a lot of the things I used to do ten years ago. Why? Because the problem is technology has changed and evolved. Uh, the way we used to build technology ten years ago is completely different to how you build technology today. Frameworks, languages, infrastructure. Uh, we used to build everything on Iron. Now, more or less everything is on the cloud. So. From a conceptual point of view, I had everything running in my computer. It was amazing. My SQL, everything running, Python, and it was working. Now you put it in AWS. How the fuck do you move this from my computer to AWS? <laughs> <laughs> BPC, RDS, for me it was not trivial. In fact, I'm learning a lot, and I don't like to... It's not that I don't like to learn. I don't like to study. So I don't like to read, but if you don't read... You spend a lot of hours doing mistakes, so I need to balance the amount of time I read, the amount of time I, I practice, and the amount of time I keep calling my ex colleagues to say I have a problem and I need help. And when you have a team, it's much easier because you can learn from your peers. When you are alone, it is quite difficult because you need to be um, your own. So, so you need to do your work. You need to learn from yourself. You need to. And it's it's quite intense. If you if you were to single out one thing about what's the biggest
0: challenge that you've had transitioning from a 180 people uh, company to being a solo entrepreneur or you know shared entrepreneur with just another person right now, what would it be?
1: The biggest challenge. So the biggest uh, so the biggest challenge when we started this was how do we how how do we build it. Uh, and the guy I'm working with uh, he told me, no, I want to in the past I've always built the MVP at least myself and he said, let's go for it <laughs> uh, but uh, I have to tell you that I have not been doing it for long so I'm rusted and it's going, my learning curve it's going to be slower than yours he said, I don't care uh, the, the good thing is first engineers we hire at least we can tell them exactly what we built it's not like we have to call Someone who built it for us, maybe he's not available or not. It's like with lawyers. You, you show a contract to a lawyer that was done by another lawyer, and they will tell you, this doesn't work. I need to redo the, the contract again. With engineers, it's more or less the same. You hire a new engineer or a better one, and they want to refactor and to rebuild the whole application. <laughs> so the good thing here is I know that if the, this, this thing I'm working on, if it progresses accordingly, someone will come and will tell me, this is a piece of shit. Yeah. On technology code, I don't care. At this, at this moment, I don't care. So now I don't have to manage people. So I have a lot of time that I don't dedicate to people management. Mm-hmm. There is a lot of time dedicated to the design of the idea, which I used to do in the past. But now that time that I was dedicating to people, and dedicating to technology. And when you base, you, you take your chances. And in our case, what we're doing is... We're building everything on top of AWS, serverless completely. There is no server at all. I don't want any server to be managed because we don't have the experience to do it. So we're going to rely on the AWS uh, ecosystem. So the first challenge that we have there is you want to use the services, you need to do it in Node, Java, or Python. So I hate JavaScript. (laughs) I used to code in, in Java. So we decided to go with Python. I have read Python in the past, and I have done some proofs of concept. So first thing, you know how to structure your algorithms. You know how to structure your solution, but you don't know the syntaxes. So let's learn it. And the good thing is, compared to 10 years ago, there's a lot of document, not documentation per se, there's a lot of new ways of learning, which I like. There's a lot of video materials out there that you can follow, and very short capsules example so, so you pay 20, 30 bucks, 50 bucks, and, and you, you can easily accelerate your learning curve. There's a lot of documentation that you can find. Stack Overflow, which didn't exist when I was coding, is amazing. <laughs> Google knows everything, so you just put your uh, the error you get in the control, you put it there, and all of a sudden you have hundreds. So, the biggest challenge is get dirty again. It's uh, in the past, I, I could build a solution with the team, and it was like Oh, build it. I'll help you, but that's it. Now it's I have my design, I have my solution. The good thing is I have a very good network of people, so I run everything through the people I trust. But at the end, it's like, okay, they say it's okay, build it. you got to do it yourself, right? So
0: for being an entrepreneur, basically, you got to build this MVP because yeah. we're used to this ever, like, so markets change so much, users change so much, and technology evolves so quickly, and basically you got to build your MVP to test your idea. I think, and I want your opinion on this, there's two different kind of entrepreneurs, right? The ones who build an MVP knowing that it will not be used in the next phase. Oh, if this works, it's going to scale, but I'm just going to rebuild it again because it's useless. And then there's this other part, who know, no, I've just built this, I'm just going to hang on it until we've got 50K users, something like that, or until it explodes.
1: What will you? I think that at the end, and that's my... My personal experience, you build things and we try to over-engineer our solutions. Yeah. Normally, we try to think whenever we have a million users, what's going to happen? Come on, you don't have a single user. (laughs) You don't have even 50, right? (laughs) I I don't have even one. Exactly. So so once we get to the river, we'll decide how we cross it. So the the idea is we're going to build this product. Let's see if it has traction. Mm -hmm. If it does, we'll decide if we raise money or not. If we do, and we bring new people onto the team, I'm pretty sure that we will look for better engineers. That we are. So if they decide that they need to redo it, let's go for it. Also, we have some technology background on ourselves. So so we, if someone comes to me and tells me I need to redo it every every single thing. I will tell him no, it's impossible. So pick your fights because resources are limited. Mm-hmm. And for sure there will be things that you need to change very urgently and others. So I, Wacky has had the biggest refactoring in life being built the last year. Mm-hmm. And in the beginning, engineers, they wanted to redo Waki completely from zero. Mm-hmm. And I told them, hey, guys, it took us four years to get here. We've learned a lot. We know a lot. How long do you think it's, it's going to take you to build? He's like, no, like a year. I said, bullshit. <laughs> if it took you four years, doesn't matter if we're more people and we know more. It's going to take you three years. And not because I'm wiser, I'm older. Yeah. Uh, so... Whoever comes next and they want to change, go for it. Are you? Uh, I want to build a business. Actually, that's why I wanted to say, like, from your point of view. Also, you're more focused on resources
0: right now because uh, precisely you have to build it yourself. How do you manage your time between technology
1: and business? There is no business. There is today, no business, no. so it's very easy. <laughs> I think that the problem is going to be in January. We plan to launch in January, so the problem is going to be in January that you need to launch it. You're going to have a lot of. Bugs that you were not capable of testing while you were producing and at, the, and at the same time we want to build the kpis needed to decide what you do with this mm-hmm. you scale it you look for more for investment at the same rhythm so nowadays it's very easy it's uh, you work uh, what how we're working is we work from home and we get to see each other every every day a couple of hours to work together and we put whatever we have together and it's working fine. That, that was a challenge also because it's been long since I had not had the obligation to go to the office. There are days like today I would quit. Yesterday I was very happy. <laughs> uh, but the challenge of knowing that, I don't know if it's going to be successful or not, but just to be capable of launching the BP is like proving myself that I can do it again if I want to. Mm-hmm. If I have the desire, I'll code again. Uh, so I left walking. I promised my wife that I would not create a new startup, that I would not code, that I would look, f- I would look for a traditional and established job that could be comfortable for me and my family. And a couple of months later, I'm doing completely the opposite. So at the end, you need to feel passion. And one of the things I like about engineering is that it's very artistic. The, 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 I think that's, it mixes two things. It's very logical and mathematical. I studied physics, so that's something that I like. But on the other side, it's very artistic. You need to have the idea on how to solve your problem, or you need to find the resources, or you need. So that part has to find you while working. But that challenge of building, it's like an artisan. You're building something. Mm-hmm. You choose your tools, which are the technologies we use. So that challenge of being capable of producing something from scratch again. Uh, learning at the same time, suffering at the same time—it's uh, kind of masochist, but uh, but at least I'm up to the challenge for for a while. Let's see where it takes us. You you mentioned that
0: yeah, that's that's very good. Thank you for the assist. Um, if we are artisans, developers are artisans. That's a double-edged sword, right? Because you feel very passionate about it, you really work even over time, and like very long shifts on, on your product, but we tend to over-engineer, as you said. What other, let's say, what what other problems do you find in first-time developers, first-time entrepreneurs in tech? Do we tend to all also
1: refactor too much or, or code solutions? are you, Code for problems we don't yet have, as you said? I think that's the biggest. That's the, the biggest one. problem is, uh, no, there are two problems. That one, and normally, the. the I was talking now, normally when you see groups of people building something new, either they are very technical or non-technical at all. You know, finding a team that has both things in the middle, that's very technical and very business people, it's it's difficult to find. Mm. I think that you need to think one face after the other. I mean, the Google guys didn't th- thought yeah. 10 years ago that they would be what they are today, or Facebook. They were adding new stuff as needed. They were adding new technologies as needed. They were evolving. And one of the things is you need to balance very edge technologies with very stable technologies. Mm-hmm. Uh, so one of the things I, I've been learning lately is we've been looking on how to produce mobile applications. Uh, and I have always done it the same way, native applications. And now we have this big debate if native applications versus um, hybrid applications. Uh, in our case, we're doing hybrid applications mainly because of resources. We are two guys, and we have to do our back end, our front end, our, uh, our even if we go serverless. you need to connect all those pieces on on Amazon. That I thought it was crystal clear following the <laughs> the, the, the documentation on Amazon. Today it was so frustrating that I even called the, uh, the the guy in charge of AWS in Spain. I told him, I hate you, <laughs> hate your company. <laughs> no, but uh, so we we tend. So for example, Ben was mentioning. In Waki, we use React. Or Why we use React? Because there was a very small project, and we wanted to do something a little different. Mm-hmm. And at that time, was very, almost three years ago, it was very new. The problem is three years later, we only use it for that. So the overhead we're putting for the engineering team, yeah. it's too much. So how do you balance innovation, edge technologies with a business? And at the end, any startup needs to deliver a business. You can be Facebook, that you had no business in the beginning and you were very successful, or WhatsApp. But I don't know how to build a business without a business model behind that I can make money or try to make money as soon as possible. So for that, normally, the latest edge technologies didn't work. They are immature. You will solve a lot lot of the problems yourself. While if you go to much mature mature technologies, you go to Stack Overflow and there's a lot of documentation there. So, how do you balance that? Uh, it's very difficult. And then, how do you attract the right talent? You tell them that you're coding in Java, which I like, but and I love the, G- the Java virtual machine. Mm-hmm. And, but it sounds outdated. Uh, if you go and they tell and you tell them that you're doing something with functional programming, seems like you're doing something amazing. Most of the guys will not be capable to do it, but it sounds. Amazing. So how do you balance with the amount of different technologies that we find? That's one of the challenges, I see. It's complicated because
0: I've got the very same problem, right? So when you try to innovate on technologies, it's like, oh, I could be telling, we work with React or with Elixir or something like that. And it's like, yeah, you're going to attract these new people, but there
1: are really fewer
0: of them. So how do you compete?
1: It's even difficult, no? So Hmm. it depends what you're looking for, but how many companies do we have? And I'm not going to go outside. How many companies do we have in, a, in a Spain? I was giving a talk at Google last month. Only around 1% of the websites and applications worldwide mm-hmm. have scaling issues. Yeah. Most of the applications and websites no. that we build will never get the traffic enough to have scaling issues. Exactly. So please focus on your problem today, not the focus to the problem tomorrow. And there is a lack of engineering. There is a lack of professionals. So the fact that here at Ironhack you can recycle yourself in order to learn new things is great because there are other sectors with a lot of unemployment, not here in Spain, worldwide. Rakuten has around 4,000 engineers worldwide, and if they could hire 2,000 more, they would do it. Uh, same Google or these big technology companies. So we are very fortunate because we are one of the few sectors where we can decide where to work. Uh, normally, that's not, that's not the choice. And you can even take those decisions. I want to work on Ruby-related projects. I want to work on
0: yeah, Elixir or something.
1: Yeah. So you can choose from technology to product to business. And that's a luxury. And even the country, right? Uh, you mentioned another very, very interesting topic,
0: which is scalability, right? Um, I think one of the main problems in the industry as well is that people tend to believe the rumors. And, for instance, maybe you at Wacky didn't work did or didn't have any problems with it. But how about Ruby, right? I was talking to Xavier Noria, and he told me people who said that Ruby doesn't scale, that's bullshit. I was talking to Shopify, 20 million transactions per minute, and they don't have a problem. They had a small problems no. with so, latency, so right?
1: I, in fact, my, my What's talk, your experience? My talk at, at Google was about that. Oh, really? Uh, and I think that the problem is uh, Twitter migrated from Ruby to, to other solutions. LinkedIn did mm. the same. And those same engineers that five years ago blamed language for not the scaling, yeah. nowadays they acknowledge that the problem was they were not using the language or the framework correctly to what they were supposed to mm-hmm. uh, It is also true that five years, Ruby is 20 years old, and we have the honor to to know Matt very well. He's a fellow at the Raguten. So I brought Sorry. him first time he was in Barcelona three years ago, I brought him personally to oh, well. to what is full stack fest today, which was Baruco at the time. Um, so it's 20 years old, Ruby. Rails has also quite a long time. Ten years. So the problem ten years. is ten ten years it's very short if you compare it to Java, PHP and other yeah. languages or frameworks. So these big companies with this big traffic was hitting problems no one faced before. So they moved to other solutions. They had the money and they hired people from MySQL, from very big companies, to solve it. And sometimes when you bring people from outside, they bring all other technologies also. Mm-hmm. At Wacky, we have never had a. So no, that's not true. We had a, a when we were raising money, the first round or the second round, we had a, an escalation issue mm-hmm. that was caused. Because we did some TV advertisement, because we got a very good deal to do El Hormiguero. Uh, and Pablo <laughs> Motos was appearing with a box, of a set of box we were selling at that moment. And I told the company, we're going to go down. And I know it. No, no, put more servers. And I said, it's not a matter of putting more servers. In our case, we went down because our database management was poorly done. Okay. And, uh, and that's one of the problems I tend to see a lot in the, in, in, in the technology companies. We put very little time to the database. Mm-hmm. If we work with frameworks, we, try to, we tend to think or rely on the ORM or whatever connection between your framework and your database you use. And I've found over time that people know very little about databases, very little about SQL or non-SQL, how to put those data management together. And they try to believe that the framework is going to do magic. And normally you hit bottlenecks there. Um, so in our case, we solve it by changing the architecture on how our database. So when I joined Wacky, our uh, architecture was very simple: web server uh, and then monolithic Ruby on Rails application and a MySQL database. That was all. In mm-hmm. fact, it was running on one server. So we said we're going to have a problem. It was not a matter of putting that multiply in parallel because the architecture. W- couldn't do it, so they said, no, no, let's put several front web servers, we can multiply our monolith, and said, then what do you do with the database? Yeah. So at the end, we had to start bottom-up, and we said, okay, let's change our database. It's a read application, because it's 90% or more reads and very little data modification. That tells you what kind of database architecture you need to put in place. So there are master-slave, master-master-slaves, sharding, whatever you need to put in place. You don't need to do it from the beginning. But what you can do is you can structure your database, you can structure your data, you can structure your architecture, thinking what's going to be the next step. You might be wrong, but at least you can leave it more or less on that path. So uh, scaling issues, you don't know where they're going to come from, even though if you do a lot of load testing or whatever, because a human being does not behave like a machine. You can program as many load tests as you want, but your users will use the application on ways you have never thought about. Mm-hmm. So you will find, the, the, the most important thing for me is metrics. You need to measure a lot, and there are a lot of tools to measure, from Google Analytics, New Relics, uh, now from mobile, there are a lot of different applications. If you have numbers, you can anticipate where your pain is going to be. And you can refactor or re-architecture constantly your application by having numbers. If you don't have numbers and you crash, you don't know. Yesterday I was reading um, David Bonilla and he was mentioning some company who almost went out of business and now it's one of those unicorns over a billion valuation because they didn't know the amount of RAM they needed for their database. And they were going down constantly. Hmm. I don't even know how to do it today. But these guys had no problem managing the access to the application. They were failing in other parts. So what's going to be your escalation issue? You don't know until you face it. And it depends how agile you are. That you evolve or you die. That that brings up a very interesting
0: topic, which is about the data, right? We tend to overanalyze data as well because... We need to report to investors, for instance, or we want to just share our metrics in the internet, in our medium blog posts about how cool we are. But how about the technical data? When does it become relevant? When do you have fifty users? Do you think that's relevant enough, or do you think? Stat- think?
1: Statistically, it's not because you mm. need a minimum amount of data. But if you have fifty users, <laughs> that's the data you need to work with. Uh, and the problem with that is that if you do mathematical models to expand that data. It's not going to work because when you have fifty users, that one percent that is going to kill you, you don't see it. You have so I always put this example. When I joined Wacky, the first month we did eleven euros in revenues. Out of Great. those, Great. out of those eleven, I think the founders we paid ten. <laughs> so friends, um, family, and fools. One. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so it was not. Uh, it was very difficult to first put a plan to raise money. Second, to get data to say. How is the traffic? How do we need to scale this infrastructure in order to accommodate? Because one of the things is, for example, what was based on physical data center. I moved it to the cloud because I had previous experience in video and I knew that doing capacity planning for the peak, it's a problem because on the on the video, high. It doesn't matter if it is live streaming or BOD. The peaks the peaks are very high and the valleys are very low. So if you go for the peak. You're overpaying throughout the week, and it's funny because the the graphic of traffic has been the same consistently over six years, yeah. with the difference that the base level it's higher every week. So the problem is, how do you anticipate that when you had fifty users? You cannot, idiot. You cannot. So, but if you do a little analysis, you you know how your average users behave with your competitors, with other. Services similar, and the internet is full of documentation. You, you learn to distinguish between good and bad, and bad data, but you can gather data on how users behave on fintech, how users behave on. And that should help you define how to set your your um, architecture. And having a lot of KPIs is, a, is as worse than having very little. Because if you have very little, Maybe you take the wrong decisions. If you have a lot, there is a lot of noise. So how do you choose the right KPIs business or technical? To take the good decisions, I think that's that's key. Because sometimes you're looking at the website page load. You're basing your you're basing your business on mobile. What what do you even care about the the page load? Yes, it's important for acquisition, but you're not gonna be dead there. So it's very difficult to, to distinguish for those five to ten KPIs on any area that you need to track. Maybe your team has twenty-five, but you need to focus on a very limited set of those. So your advice here would be take whatever
0: technology that you are familiar with, and then when you're as big as fucking LinkedIn or, or Twitter, you're gonna replace it accordingly,
1: right? I, I think that's that's it. I mean, within I would say the modern languages or the most established languages, and you can name Python, Java, Ruby, to build most of the applications that we use and see, it's more than enough. Uh, there's a lot of people complaining about PHP, but you can do amazing things. I, I assume that on Facebook they do very amazing things with PHP. Yeah. 20 used to do very amazing things with PHP, but people coming from languages like Python or Ruby, they would say, no, PHP. We don't like it. It's very <laughs> verbose. It's be- Shit! Yeah, we could agree, but you can do things very well. So it's not a matter of the language; it's a matter of how do you use the tools. Normally, when you have a hammer, you tend to see everything as a nail. So, so the the problem is: do you need always a nail or a hammer? Sometimes you need a screwdriver. So, have your tools available. No more than just one language. You can be proficiency at that one. But you know that if you want to go low-level and with more... um, If you're looking for the things, maybe you need to go to C, C++. It's complicated, yeah, but uh, it depends what you're looking for.
0: Exactly. Good. So uh, my next question being, because I wanted to delve a little bit deeper into technologies, and I want to say specifically about hybrid mobile development, because this is something that... When we were talking about this last week, I think I mentioned, like, we're trying Ionic uh, Ionic 2, it's very great. And you said, I'm going for 1. I said, why? Why would you do that?
1: Because you're familiar with it. No, so let's put it this way. A month ago, I was not familiar with any of the different frameworks. My partner had already worked on an idea, and he told me, this is how I built my MVP, uh, but I want your input. So I said, okay. Although f- the first thing I do is I I like I'll, I'll act as a consultant and I got whatever he had in mind and I went and did something that I was not used to uh, in the past I used to so you you try to do very simple MVPs with different frameworks or technologies and you see what you like you read a lot about them and you, so at the end I ended up with three different options which were um, React Native uh, the one by the Teleric guys. Uh, don't remember the name and Ionic. Oh. Um, my problem with React Native was it's literally mature still, and and you need to change your approach on how to build applications with React. The, the concept of the virtual DOM and how the one single page and how you manipulate data here and then you show it. And I said, if I need to learn a lot of things, inline styles. Uh, but yeah, uh, uh, I'll <laughs> say let, let, let's try to be. Efficient, so I'm not going to learn about that. Okay. And uh, the other one I like, the Telerik guys have been building tools for developers for a lot of for a long time. And the, what I liked is that they were using directly the APIs of the of Android and iOS. So okay. they were using actually the real objects, not uh, yeah. kind of object. Uh, the only problem is that they don't support uh, WebGL or Canvas. And what I'm doing, I need uh, WebGL and Canvas. And Mm -hmm. then I went to Ionic. Um, And in fact, that week, the guys of Ionic were here in the uh, Mm -hmm. Angular uh, meetup. And I went there. Um, Unfortunately, the meeting I went, and I think it's like all the generic meetings, was more of a commercial pitch than a workshop. The workshop was during the weekend, and I was outside of Barcelona. Mm -hmm. And we decided to go with Ionic. Ionic is based on Angular. Uh, by the way, Wacky's back office is for all the employees. is based on on Angular too, um, and I'm not very familiar, but enough to because we when we took the decision to build mm-hmm. um, Wacky's back office on Angular, I had I read a little bit, and we decided as a team that we wanted to go with it. And I was reading between um, Ionic one and two, and shit, Ionic 2 is based on Angular 2, which already went out. Um, they say that they have a stable version. I doubt it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Ionic 2 is not even finished. So it's like, I want to have an MVP as fast as possible out in the market. The good thing is I could have gone for either of those, because I had I had no idea on Ionic 1 or Ionic 2. So if I had to learn, why don't you learn the new version? Well, I went, I went conservative because uh, one of the things I know is that I have a lot of documentation of Ionic One. There's plenty of samples. There is a lot of documentation, so uh, I decided that we would go with Ionic One. Uh, it's based on Cordova, so uh, there's a lot. Cordova has been out there for for ages, and there's a lot of plugins made. Um, documentation. And really, we don't use Angular. So we, yes, we have done a couple of services uh, in Angular, but um, very little because uh, the framework abstracts us from that. So I would say if what we were doing was not what we are doing, that we need WebGL or Canvas, I would have gone with the Telerik solution. But since we need that, <coughs> we decided to go with uh, with Ionic. Uh, we've done some tests, and the good thing is it delivers a lot of what they promise. and Building stuff is easy. Testing the stuff is easy. And we'll see.
0: Okay. Just if you want some advice, the, the, the Angular team is not working on Angular 1 anymore. So I know. if you've hit an issue,
1: it's going to be staying like Wonderful. Wonderful. If we hit an issue and it's... Perfect. And, and, and it is... The good thing is our application is quite 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 simple. So moving mm. to to Angular 2 and Ionic yeah. 2 should not be a problem. Sure. Uh, Let's see if we hit that problem. Let's see what happens. If we don't hit that problem, maybe we are not successful or we are smart enough to be successful without going to the edges of the technology.
0: Let's talk about like hiring an in house programmer, right? Because uh, you're going to eventually hit the point in which you need to hire a team, right? Uh, That's easy. What's your po- what's that? That's easy. That's easy. What's your policy on that? You hire by talent or by skills or potential? How are you going to do it this time?
1: So it will all depend how much money I have. Uh, <laughs> Let's assume you've got not very much. So I remember when we started hiring at Waki. When you don't have a lot of money, you mm-hmm. have big competitors. So you need, and at the end, engineers, they tend to like to work with people they respect. I remember when we started Waki, no one wanted to work with Wacky. They didn't know us. I had been out of Spain for almost 10 years. I, I'm originally from Madrid, so I knew no Maybe one. They it's that.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Maybe uh, they, they didn't know that you support
1: Madrid, but yeah. No, I made it very clear from Uh-oh, the great. beginning, so That's no great. problem. Uh, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't want to work with, you. <laughs> but you did. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I think that we, we want to work with people with respect. I think yeah. that now we have a very big advantage is that both, if this goes well and we fund the company, my co-founder and I are quite well known, so mm. that, that lowers the barrier. Um, then you need to have a, a product that people want to work with. With mm-hmm. You need to be capable of going to your friends and family and tell them what you're working on. Uh, it's like, I don't know, if you're working in adult industry, which I have nothing against it, but how are you going to tell your wife, honey, I'm going to be doing virt- porn in virtual reality? Or you're going to be rich. No, I don't think so. But uh, <laughs> your market is going to be limited. But yeah. maybe your your wife understands it. How are you going to go to your mom or to your grandma and <laughs> tell them? So product is very important. Mm-hmm. The technologies you use, I think they are important, but they are not. Mm, if someone is not willing to come to work with you for the technologies you're using, yeah. you don't have to hire them. Exactly. Don't make an effort. Don't, don't go for them. Um, <clears throat> and then you need to have a um thing that aside of the technology and the product they need to feel or see the um, working philosophy the the people uh, in fact uh, for three years at Waki we didn't do any coding test to people recruiting i didn't I don't believe in them okay. I think that to, to do a technical interview to someone to understand if the basics are there, you need to put uh, a test. Yes, on a test, I'm going to see if your syntaxes or your way of structuring your code is much more alike to my way or not. But if that is the problem, it's very easy to learn how to structure your code on a different ways. There are tools to help you on how to structure that code. So at the end, you need to know if the guy knows about the basics, and depending the level you're hiring, the basics go up. And, and with that and the personal attitude, that's more than enough.
0: How would you test them? I mean, how would you test them? Would you go in the interview asking some questions like Google does? How many golf balls can you fit in a no. in a bus?
1: My, my interviews are very personal, and in fact, if my interview goes short. The candidate must know that it's it's no directly. Right. So first, it's personal, if you have a rapport with that guy or not. <coughs> and sometimes you're wrong, because we all have bad days. Um, I, I have been going through interviews in my life, so sometimes you are not in your best moment, but shit, this is how it works. And second, you make I make technology questions, generic technology questions, and from there, it evolves. Because when you see that someone with the f- first basic, basic questions has some problems, ugh, but it all depends on what you hire. We hired Ben. I was going to ask whether ben, he's saying
0: BS or not. No, Is he, he right
1: about this? We, ha- we hired Ben out of Ironhack. Exactly. And, and he was mm, junior uh, at the sense of, professionally speaking, yep. but the, you, you can grasp or see an attitude a desire and some basic knowledge and with that in hand you take you take your chances sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't it's very easy to hire chavinoria yeah I, I, I if you have the, if you have the cash if you, if you don't know chavinoria it's uh, one of the core members of Rubian rails he's been working with us at waki for more than two years and it was my personal I don't know how to say it was very intense calling him for two years until I'm manage to get him working with us. It's very easy. It's like trying he, to... He's a Ruby hero. Yeah. Like, not everybody's it's a Ruby like hero. Trying to hi, it's like trying to hire Ronaldo or Messi. Yeah. You're not going to get it wrong. It's, it's going to be expensive. Yeah. But you know what you get. The problem is when you go and you hire someone you don't know or, or you try to put in the first, in Real Madrid or Barcelona, first team, guy from the junior leagues. <clears throat> That's the problem. Yeah. That's when combination of things have to happen. The talent, the ambition, and the moment. Because maybe it's not the moment to do that.
0: that. That's why, because you're thinking about your experience with Waki, right? And we both have hired people straight out of Ironhack here. And I want to know your vision on being an entrepreneur, so potentially people from here that might want to hire somebody. What's your recommendation on hiring people who come straight out of a development bootcamp?
1: I think that you should expect that they get the basics that normally it's people who have done this new way of learning because they feel, I mean, you have to be passionate or interested because normally a lot of them have had another career or have done other things. So you you don't invest that amount of money and time if you don't pursue something. But you have to be really clear, and that's my, um, my experience, of what you're getting. Yeah, and sometimes if you are not technical you don't know what you are getting and i'm not saying it in the wrong way i i, I was at iron Hacks old offices uh years ago <laughs> uh, in fact i still have my mac from that day and i use it every day and i think it's great because they get quite good understanding from the full stack that they are going to use but you're getting i would say junior guys and i like one of the things i like about hiring junior people, is that you can shape them to your organization. You can teach them how you do things. Might not be the best way. Might not be the best way to do the things. But they don't know other things normally. Sometimes when you hire someone with experience, you're used to do things the way your company used to do it. And you change companies and you have to relearn again everything. I like, I mean, I, I was given once the first opportunity to work. and. Sometimes in this world, we want only senior people because they can deliver results tomorrow. Come on, guys. We were all given a first chance. So please, hire young people to your team. Hire, when I say young, they can be older, but they, ha- they are new into the, to the industry. Hire new people. They will bring a new spirit into the company, and you can l- teach them. And on the other side, you will learn from them because sometimes they challenge what you say, and sometimes they come with new solutions you never thought because you're very used to doing your things the same way over and over again because you know how to do it. And they come with a new solution. It's like, never thought I could do this this way. If, 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 if you come out from a uh, boot camp or you just come out from university, you're a very junior guy <clears throat> and you have different options from going, let's say, from corporate to middle-sized company to very early stage small company to, to What would be my advice? And I think that that's a difficult one, and I'll put it into my own experience. Uh, So I started working for something that it is in the startup industry no one wants to mention. I started working for big consulting firms. And what I saw are projects that you don't see anywhere else. So I I did very big e-banking solutions that nowadays we don't see because there's not enough money. But those projects with hundreds of people and very demanding, teach taught me a lot of things that I would have not learned other way. When we hired Ben, uh, in fact, uh, we interviewed several people, and there is people we didn't like. There's people we liked they didn't like us. Or there's people like Ben who, who decided to take a chance with us because it was also in a team that was in the middle of nowhere, just uh, reporting to me as CTO, but a little bit, which on the other side was very good because we had a lot of autonomy, we didn't report to anyone. Mm-hmm. Is, what are you looking for as your first job? Uh, one of the things I think you should be looking is, first, the product or something that you like. Second, a place where you can learn. And my experience is if you go to a very small startup, it's going to be difficult that you have role models to learn from. Because either they have a very talented technology founder, or if not, the team is going to be limited. In fact, one of the things I see, Barcelona in general in the startups that we even, in Waki or I could name, I don't know, Trobit or gaming companies, a lot of the engineers that work there, the biggest thing they have done is that. And that is a problem. Because you tend to do this, the things the same way you have been doing it for ages. Because you don't need, maybe you don't need to do better or bigger things, but that's the scope you have done. So you go now to Wacky or these companies I mentioning. it's great. You have 70 people, you're going to learn a lot. It was difficult coming to Wacky when we worked two and a half. Sure. Uh, because and that was the problem, we didn't hire people. First, no one knew us. Second, mm, who's going to be my lead that I can learn from? Mm -hmm. So that, that I would say that the the, the answer is, look for the companies you're going to work for, what is the staff there, and who's going to be your role model or the leader you're going to learn from, and that should help you take the decision. And then, of course, there is an economical factor that we cannot acknowledge, and uh, at the end, we need to eat at the end of the month. So you put all those things together, and you take your decision.
0: I just wanted to ask: now that you're going back to development, what things have changed in your stack of applications you're using? Probably supplying Shit. Text
1: was not Shit. there. I, I started coding with Notepad and compiling Java on yeah. on a DOS terminal. So it has <laughs> changed a lot. So I think one of the good th- and and then we started working with uh, NetBeans and Eclipse. Eclipse yeah. Which was very consuming from a computer point of view, I think one of the beauties is that and, and I'm very limited at that, but you can set up a virtual environment on your machine quite easily to replicate quite quite well what you have on production. You can even code locally and use AWS to run on everything that you're testing i'm using I started using atom uh, so when I left Waki before working on this project I'm working now. Uh, I decided to start go back to coding mainly because I wanted to fill some of my daily hours with something and I said okay, let's code. I decided to go with Ruby on Rails mainly because I thought after six years of making some money with Ruby, why don't we go for it? And I said also because I had a lot of engineers I knew (laughs) and especially Xavi, which which I keep sending messages. Chavi, this doesn't work and I'll get a fast answer and and, and I could move. And I told him which is your setup to develop today? He sent me his setup, and I said, "Okay, I'm going to learn from the master, so copy your setup." <laughs> um, then I tried. Uh, he uses Atom, and I went from Atom to to Sublime Text. Um, I'm trying to use more and more uh, common line uh, tools. Uh, Emacs eh, or VI is too far away for me today. <laughs> uh, I have installed it. I tried it, but... Shit, uh, I, You're too human for that, right? I'm, I'm not... I mean, <laughs> I'm not... So, one of the things I has changed from when I started to now, when I started, we all used the mouse. Nowadays, engineers, they don't use a mouse. They could live without it. And I need... When I'm coding, I'm coding, but... And I know how, I know some of my shortcuts, but... I see Ben and the guys at the office and they were, shit, they don't need the mouse. And I need the mouse. I'm old school for that. But um, I think it has changed that way. We were only using, I remember, one screen. Now I cannot foresee working with just one screen. I need at least a couple of screens. And it's more productive. Uh, But the biggest change, I think, is on the IDE that you use that helps a lot. There's a lot of plugins. There's a lot of things you can do directly from your IDE. That in the past, it was impossible.
0: Towards the end of the interview, we had the audience ask some questions to Jordi. And the first question was with regards to pair programming, whether they were doing it or not in these initial stages of the of the startup. We had to cut off some of the audio because they didn't, the audience didn't have a mic and therefore the audio was terrible. So let's go.
1: I remember when I started working, uh, one of the guys and that was 11, 12 years ago, one of the guys uh, that was teaching us, he was ex- very fan of extreme programming and per-programming. Uh, in fact, at Waki, you know that there are teams who do it quite a lot. Uh, I like it, but we are not doing it, mainly because we are working remotely, both of us, and I think if you want to do per-programming, the only way to do it is you need to be, or the only way, the best way to do it. Uh, you can do it nowadays remotely. There are a lot of tools to share screens and so, yeah. Uh, we are not doing it. What we're doing is uh, yes, we we check the the pull requests that we submit every day and so. But at the end, we gather every day a couple of hours, and it's not per programming because we don't tend to program there. It's more of code reviewing and architecture reviewing than per programming. But I I, I I like I like a lot per programming when you have the, the the resources and when I say resources, the team enough to do it. Nowadays, since we want to launch an MVP as fast as possible, what we have said is, you're going to take care of this, and I will review it. I'm going to take care of this, and you're going to review it. But mm, I think that at this time, we will be slower.
0: The second question coming from the audience had also to do with fair programming. But in this case, it was uh, whether they would do it once they built a team, not only the two founders in the beginning.
1: I would say that I would let them do whatever is best for them. I mean, I, for example, I can think on the playback team in Wacky. Uh, if you look at some of the, that team, normally you see two or three people on the same screen. I always make the joke, you're not working today. No, they are working. The way they work is that they do pair programming. Uh, but I think that in order to do pair programming, you need a s- sort of attributes that, that, that that you're capable of doing it. Uh, if not, I think that there are many ways of doing it. Differently, uh, pull request. If you set the basis of the pull request approval accordingly, and uh, and we have gone through bad times on that because the team was not mature or educated enough, and the, the the code review was more a personal thing than a code thing. So, at the end, uh, I tend to think that, like with methodologies, you need to find base methodology to use and from there the different teams you might have need to be independent enough to modify that to match the people on that team try to force everyone to do the same it's like uh, the sample we were putting in soccer are you going to ask messi to defend the same as busquets i'm sorry no because not because the skills and the personality or it's different so in this case i think you need to allow them to use the best tools possible you need to train them. And that's very important because as engineers, we need to recycle to ourselves constantly. Technology, processes, uh, everything, uh, and not only technology. Other sides of what we do is very important. But if you put all the tools on the table and you help them sometimes by forcing them to select a different tool that the one that they are used, you enrich them, you enrich the team, and you should get a better output. And there are times when you need to go fast. And then you choose for the fastest route and there are times you have more time and you invest more on finding other ways of doing things.
0: Another question coming from the audience was how to deal with technical depth, how to refactor, how to break down things, how to deal with monoliths and whatnot. What is the strategy Jordi has to deal with different kinds of projects, especially when dealing with legacy code?
1: So, so my, my way of thinking is the, is the following. You have tools that help you measure how much technical depth you have like sonar for example it's a very good tool to measure that you have other tools to measure kpis uh, uh, i am very analytical and very i would say business driven on the technical side so i need to analyze data to take decisions and at the end normally from a technical point of view i tend to mix that with the business output of it so sometimes There is something that, from a technical point of view, it's poorly done, but it's still generating a lot of money. But the problem is, you need to differentiate this. The problem is on aesthetics, on how or how it is built, or if it is really that you see a degradation of your system because it is poorly constructed. So, if you use the proper tools to measure legacy systems, to measure performance, uh, and to measure Productivity because when you're, you have a lot of legacy code or legacy infrastructure, sometimes the problem is that you do not move fast enough because it's very difficult or it's poorly documented and adding new functionality or modifying new fun- old functionality difficult. But if you have the right set of tools measuring different things and someone with a view, an overview, not so, which was my case, not so depth. But you can mix the technical, those technical KPIs with the business KPIs. Then you make a list of where to start from. The example I was mentioning is uh, we knew Wacky had some issues because building some new functionalities was a pain in the ass. Modifying all ones was the same. Uh, we wanted to change some, inf- some technology, also infrastructure. Uh, and the answer from the team was we rebuilt everything again. And I said, come on, guys. <laughs> As I said, 40 years, you're going to do it in one. I don't believe you. How we ended planning it a little bit was, let's write the top 10 things that bother you. And let's mix the technical ones with the technical ones that have a business impact. So let's say our colleagues at marketing wanted to have a given functionality that they have evaluated on a business impact and which was the effort we need and the, all the Infrastructure to the new one. So, if you have metrics and KPIs around your platform or your technology, and you mix them with your business ones, you can take decisions. And sometimes, like I remember in Turismo Rural, uh, that François Derbey was the Mm -hmm. CEO, and my friend Daniel Brandy was the CTO. They got to a point where they rebuilt the application. They took a year and a half to rebuild the whole application your decision has to be very well thought because for a year and a half, they were maintaining the old application and not giving any new functionality to the business guys. And a year and a half later, that maybe it takes longer. Normally it does. You're going to build something amazing that was thought a year and a half ago. Mm-hmm. So it's all from the moment you put it in production. It paid off? It, it paid, off. paid. They sold the company afterwards. So, but like that, I could use another example that didn't pay off. Trying to build everything from scratch again is very difficult. I tend to think on constant increments. And sometimes what you do is there's a part you have to throw away and rebuild it. But thinking on rebuilding 100% of it doesn't fly. And mix it, and mix it with business data. And that is something that normally technology people will do very poorly. So mix that with business data and then decide where are you going to refactor, redo, technical depth, is the technical depth so important or maybe we can live with this technical depth but with this other don't? And how do you explain what is a technical depth to a business guy? How are you going to explain them that you have those legacy SQL there that you need to remove? You have the data and you can prove that by improving those SQL that is going to take instead of 2.5 seconds, 2.1, those 0.4 are going to be used in that. The more data you have to make your point clear and you can prove, the better. For example, in playback analysis we did with Waki, we showed, in fact, we created a white paper with Akamai that if we improve the buffering ratio 20% of what it was, we were making around 40% more in revenues. When you prove that with numbers, then your CEO tells you, "Eh, put more time there because (laughs) another 1%, maybe it's 3% more in revenues. But if, if it went wrong, it's like, Trust, relationships are built on trust. If you fail, it's very difficult that the next time you get another chance.
0: We can wrap it up here. A big applause for Jordi. Thank you very much. Thank you. We are Mars-based, an all-remote consultancy from Barcelona, specializing in web and mobile development we help all kinds of companies from startups to big corporations to conceptualize design and develop solutions for their business using technology. And now how can we help you?